0: I get a little excited sometimes standing up here before you guys, you know. Bring praise to the Lord. <clears throat> so, at this time, Steve Andrews, sir, if you will come with the sermon, King's copy. I'm uh, kind of excited about um, all the messages about the Constitution and a different uh, last week. I listened in from Cisco, Texas. Hey, that was wonderful to be able to tune in and listen to the messages that were on the net. So I, I appreciate that and I, I thought that was really great. And um, uh, it's hard to believe sometimes how God works. My message is not a whole lot different than Ron's, but I do have, you know, a little bit difference here. When we elect our representatives and our president, the first thing that they do is they take an oath. They can either swear you know, or they can affirm. Um, which we we believe in affirming if we have to do that. And they will take that oath in the public. The first one I have is for the president. And um, I think they put their name in there. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute. And I think I was supposed to turn this thing on so I could uh, use it if I needed to. That's the wrong thing right there faithfully execute the office of the president of the united states and will to the best of my ability preserve pres- preserve protect and defend the constitution of the united states i want to highlight that one word now if brian will put up the one for the congress which is a, somewhat similar I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, which is that Constitution, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me God." And so we see and I don't know if the presidential one is the total one I apologize if that's not exactly it. that's the one that we found um, And I can't remember if there's any more to it or not, but both of those, both of those affirm their allegiance and their dedication to the document called the Constitution of the United States of America. It is the copy in which they go by, or supposed to go by, in this nation. We'll talk about that a little later in my message. But I want to go, because today is kind of a history lesson. I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with this because it's a very large history lesson, and then it's a history lesson that's very hard to put together. And that history lesson is that of our real older founding fathers, The ones that walk this earth with the commandments and the laws of God. When God was directing, giving commandments to Moses, he actually gave a prophetic look into the future. And I know I have this backwards, and and I'm going to apologize to... uh, to Brian but I would like to put up Deuteronomy 17 first because I think it's important to understand that prophetically God revealed to Moses the importance that if they decide to choose a king over God that they would have problems they would have problems In Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, beginning in verse 14, he says, When you are come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are about me. All the nations that are about me. We have a problem as humans. We like to look at somebody else and say, Oh, wow, they're they're better than we are. They have something more than we do. (laughs) You shall in no I set him king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. In other words, God's going to choose that one. One from among your brethren shall you set king over you. And you shall not set a stranger over you, which is not your brother. But he shall not multiply. Now remember, this is prophetic. As we look at this history, remember the prophetic. God looked down into the future and he says... He's not supposed to do these things. He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much much as the Lord has said to you, you shall hereafter return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is for the priests, the Levites. The king's copy. The king's copy of the commandments, the laws. He needed to know everything and they just sat on his (laughs) desk or whatever the, the ancient kings had. His throne, by his throne, wherever. He was to write it out. He was to sit down and he was to write it out. How many of you saw the little article about the man? And I don't know where he was from. took him seven years. He penned the whole Bible in cursive on his own by himself. Every word. He sat down and he penned that whole Bible. I thought that was a... What? You know to be compelled to write the whole Bible. You know, the king was only to write that portion, those first five books or, uh, down, so that he had the law. This man wrote it all. But anyway, go back to this, this, this idea, this thought, this, this understanding that he was to write this, the law in a book, out of that which is before the, king, uh, the priests of the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart not be lifted upon above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to to the right hand or the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he, his children, in the midst of Israel." the king were to obey those laws, to obey those words, there would be great blessings upon that nation. Let's turn to to 1 Samuel. And let's see what happens. As they do come to that particular point in time, they decide that they want a king. And Samuel is greatly upset about the whole thing. God says... It's for a purpose. Beginning in verse 4, And then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel at Ramah, or Ramah. And he said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons walk not in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Here we have it happening, just as God had said that it would happen. They would come into the land, and eventually they would ask for a king. He said, But the, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. <laughs> they rejected the very God that actually created the nation. They gave them all the power that they had. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day wherewith, uh, uh, they have forsaken me and, and served other gods, so do they also to you. Now therefore hearken to their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly to them. Show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. That was important for Samuel to do. Essentially to read that prophecy in Deuteronomy, which they should have known and understood, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people and asked him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. I want you to, as we read through this, think about the nation and the history of our own nation and some of the things that are very much parallel to what happened to the nation of Israel. And appoint them for himself and for his chariots and to be his horsemen and some shall run before his chariots he will appoint him captains over thousands captains over fifties he will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of uh, of his chariots he will take your daughters to be confectionaries to be cooks and to be bakers he will take your fields and your vineyards "...and your uh, olive yards, and even the best of them, and give them to his servants." I think they called that uh, eminent domain, if I remember right. And they had eminent domain back then, how about that. Um, "...and he will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards, and give to his officers and to his servants. He will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men, your asses, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and you shall be his servants." You shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you, shall, you, which you shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. And so everybody's familiar with, with the fact that uh, he anointed Saul, and Saul sinned almost immediately. That kingdom was taken away from him and it was given to David. Although David waited until God provided that kingdom. And David, as it was said in the message before, David was a man after God's own heart. God loved David. And he did some sinful things. And he he paid for it. But he also did some good things. And his heart was in the right place. And he wanted the temple. He wanted it bad. But he was, as it says in the Bible, a very bloody man. He was a warrior. (laughs) And I imagine most of us probably would, even looking at the strongest men of today, would not be able to stand up to some of those warriors that David had. Uh, The Bible says that they could run for a whole day and never even get tired. They were strong men, powerful men. Um, It was a different time. David was a warrior. And it was given to Solomon to build that kingdom. It was given to Solomon, his son, also to build that temple for God. And at first, Solomon's heart was good. God gave him great wisdom, great understanding. We have some of his words in there. And they are very profound. But something happened also to Solomon that changed the course of history that changed the course of history for all <laughs> up, up, up till today and in fact what's interesting about it at that time there was a united Israel there were 12 tribes actually um, Ephraim and Manasseh was part of the, you know, the tribe of Joseph but they, they were united and then something happened that caused that a great um, schism to, to happen. And that we'll see here in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. Let's look at that because this is foundational for understanding something very, very important about who are Jews and who are Israelites. Now... It's been said, and, and it's true, all Jews are Israelites. But when you read Jewish literature, Jews are also the only Israelites. But when you read the Bible, we understand that that's not the case. <laughs> that, that even though they may be Israelites, they're not all of Israel. So let's see what happened to Solomon. Solomon. And why there was a schism that came about so that we can understand from this schism um, historical perspective and and about that kingdom. And why the king's copy would have been the most important thing that these kings could have had. Verse 1. King Solomon loved many strange women. (laughs) Together with the the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, and the Amorites, and the Edomites, and the Zidonians, and the Hittites. He had a problem. A great, big problem. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said, the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And as was in the first message, God is a jealous God. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. I mean, (laughs) God called um, Milcom a detestable idol. It was awful. He called it an abomination. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And for Moloch, Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, which is the one that they sacrificed their children to. And likewise did he all for his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Can you imagine the confusion that was in Solomon's court? Can you imagine the confusion in Solomon's court? All these women burning incense to the different gods and praying to these different gods. And, and, and he's twisted and turned in his mind. And, and I've got I've to build an a, a edifice for this god here and another one for this god here. And, and he starts getting money and all kinds of stuff to take care of all of these old abominable gods who aren't gods at all. Just idols. And of course the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared to him twice. (laughs) The Lord God had appeared to him twice and He commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said to Solomon for as much as this is done of you and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you I will surely rend the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant notwithstanding in your days I will not do it, uh, do it for David your father's sake but I will rend it out of your hand uh, of your son however I will not rend away all of the kingdom but will give one tribe to your son. For David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And the Lord stirred up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. So we we see the sin of Solomon has caused a great rift in the kingdom that was all together. And the kingdom is split. And Jeroboam, the servant, takes over now see what happens with Jeroboam. I, everybody is familiar with this, but I to set the stage for the northern kingdoms of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. To understand what was going on, we have to understand Jeroboam and what he thought he should do to keep that kingdom together, beginning in verse 25 of chapter 12, and I hope I got the right place. Then Jeroboam. Remember, we, they were going to, actually, they were going to have a civil war, and God says, No, you're not going to do that. He says, I've allowed this to happen. He said, Nope, you aren't going to do that. I'm, I've allowed this to happen. So, so here we have the split, and Jeroboam's up there, and he, he, he decides, Hey, it says right here. And he, he, he built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelled therein and went out from there into Peniwell. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this, in other words, they'll go right down, back down to the, to the, uh, uh, the southern tribe, the, to the house of Judah. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel made two calves of gold and said to them and said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. He does exactly what they did at the base of Mount Sinai. He builds some golden calves right out of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other one in Dan And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even to Dan. Remember, a lot of times it happens that leaders can manipulate the population. And this population was ready to give up God. They must have been, because they they stayed with him. And they went and they worshipped at these pagan idols. He made a a house of high places, made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast that is in Judah. He offered upon the altar, and so did he in Bethel, sacrificing uh, to the calves, sacrificing to false idols that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel in the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast to the children of Israel. He ordained upon the altar and burnt incense. Now, lest you think that by deceiving the people and somebody's going to rise up and make a change, that never happened in the northern tribes of Israel. This is a very good book for those of you who ever checked it out or had anything to do with. It's a very good history book on the um, tribes of Israel, their migrations, what happened to them and all the different things and where they ended up and why we believe we are Israel, we're a part of Israel. In here is a very quick synopsis of the rulers of Israel. And I I want to go through them just real quickly here. Because what what I want to show is that they all followed Jeroboam. Not one of them changed. There was not one good king in all the years that they ruled. We already know about Jeroboam. He ruled 22 years. King Nadab, his son, reigned two years. And he did that which was... Like his father, wherewith he made Israel to sin. That's in first Kings fifteen twenty six. I'm gonna go through these just real quickly. King Basha reigned twenty four years, he did and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Remember, God made it plain what each one of these rulers did, and how he judged them. How he judged them. That's why ruling nations should, you know, um, put fear in, into these guys. But I, I think sometimes they just think, you know, God doesn't exist. So there, there, is no, um, there is no retribution. There is nothing that's going to come upon them later. King Elah reigned two years. And he did that which was, uh, um, you know, sin in Israel, just like Jeroboam. King Zimra, it came to pass when Zimra saw that the city was taken that he went into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over him with fire. So he committed suicide. He he reigned one week. (laughs) He reigned one week. These truly were evil kings. Omri uh, wrought evil in the house of the Lord and did worse. uh, Let's see, that was the next one, Omri. Reigned 12 years. He wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did worse in all that were before him, for he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, wherewith he made Israel to sin. King Ahab, we all know about King Ahab and Jezebel. He reigned 22 years. He was wicked, and his wife was wicked. Uh, Ahaziah reigned two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother. And in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him. Most of this is in 1 Kings, and uh, you, know, you just kind of read through all of the, the different ones through the 1st and 2nd Kings. I'm just really highlighting them very quick. King Jehoram, he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, did not like his, but did not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. So, even one that might have you know, changed, he, he still followed Jeroboam. Jeroboam started it. God made it known that that was the beginning, and he kept that, He kept um, telling the Israelites that that was, uh, it was written that, that Jeroboam was the beginning of that sin. King Jehu. Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel, that were in Dan. Uh, Jehoahaz, he did that, and uh, see, Jehu uh, Jehu reigned 23 years. uh, Jehoahaz, 17. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, followed the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat. Um, Next one, uh, Joash, reigned ten years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, The 13th king, Jeroboam again, uh, the second son of Joash, reigned 41 years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam. The son of Nebat, he made Israel to sin. And... Number fourteen, Zechariah, Zach, um, reigned six months. He did that which was evil in the sight of the, his father had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, one here, Sholom or Sh- Shalum or something, S H A S H A L L U M, reigned one month, one month, and died. Sixteenth king, Menahem reigned ten years. Did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he departed not from all the days of the sins of Jeroboam and the son of Nebat. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Eighteenth king, well, that was, and then Pekah, in the seventeenth, two years. Uh, and by the way, they all say the same thing. God, you know, they didn't. So Pekah reigned 20 years. He did the same. And Hosea, 22 years. Uh, not that Hosea the prophet so there was not one good king. God finally got disgusted with them and they no longer were in the Holy Land and the Assyrians replaced them with um, their own people. And that's where we find Jesus when he comes up on the uh, Samarian because <laughs> that's where it was there, the land of, you know, they were Samarians and not Israelites. And so we find uh, then Judah had good kings and bad kings, good kings and bad kings. And finally, at the end, God told them, I can't put up with you anymore either. And Nebuchadnezzar came down and took them captive. But We know that God provided a way and the, that next temple was built. and So there was a lot of history there. And it's a, it's a very, you know, it's, a, it's quite a long story. But worth every bit of your time learning about that history, because it's interesting that we're very much like the northern tribes of Israel. <laughs> I think we started out like the southern tribes um, with the Bible and all, but we have, we're now beginning to, I think, move more and more to where Christianity and all of that is being shoved aside. And, and That's my part, too. Our own nation as a king's copy, and it's called the, the Constitution. But they also have something else, if they would just look into it, and it's called the Holy Bible, the sword of the word of God. And some of our presidents in the past have had that on their desk, and they actually read it, and they, some of them tried to live by it. Our land now, and the things that we see going on, I, 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 wait a minute, before I get too far, I have some quotes. Um, quote, quotable founding fathers. So, uh, and there's an awful lot of stuff in here, so I, um, I'm not going to spend much time. I just, have, I just found a few here under the, uh, under the topic called Constitution. And of course, this is the preamble. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And you can see how beautiful those words are. And if we just followed them and live by them, uh, you know, we, would, we would still be reaping all of the wonderful blessings. Uh, this is by Noah Webster, and it was written in October 17, 1787. I thought this was quite profound. Perfection is not the lot of humanity. Instead of censuring, censuring the small faults of the Constitution, I am astonished that so many clashing interests have been reconciled. You know, they're, they've, they fought over it. They, they struggled over it. They even look down into history to, to see what might be might come about if they wrote a certain section in it. And so many sacrifices made to the general interest, the mutual concessions made by the gentlemen of the con, convention reflect the highest honor on our candor and liberality. At the same time, they prove that our minds were deeply impressed with a conviction that such mutual sacrifice are essential to our nation. Now, there's an awful lot of quotes in here from men whose wisdom and uh, the ability to to put words down on paper was just phenomenal. The man's John Hancock was at the top of the... uh, He wrote this in 1788. The powers reserved by the people under the Constitution render them secure, and until they themselves become corrupt, they will always have upright and able rulers. He says, I give my assent to the Constitution. I mean those are some prophetic words as long until themselves become corrupt when did it happen brethren when did it happen that we began to go so far astray in this nation some like to look at the 60's (laughs) me especially because that's where I was growing up in the 60's all of the you know, Elvis and the Beatles and all of that going on. The Vietnam War. All the things that, that were happening at that time. The, the hippie era, the, you know, the free love and everything that was going on. Was that the beginning of the change? Or did it go back further? Remember, brethren, leadership uh, flows out over the people. Presidents, they're not kings, but they are leaders. They have, a, they have a presence that influences the people. I remember reading a lot about Woodrow Wilson and his League of Nations and his wanting of the Central Bank. The desire was to change this nation into, a, into something that it was not and, and to do away essentially with the, the, the tenets of the, of the Constitution. Maybe it was FDR when we had the Great Depression and we lost our gold standard and then and started to debase our money. Maybe it was the Johnson era when they did away with the, the silver as a standard. You no longer could use silver certificates or anything like that to, to get Straight silver, and you saw what a what a pure silver uh, fifty cent piece looked like. You get a fifty cent piece today if there's if you can find one, and they 're debased they 've got copper in the middle of them quarters uh, your pennies now copper 's gotten so expensive now they 've got to put zinc in it, <laughs> so you just keep debasing and debasing i don 't know what they 're going to use when they run out of of, of these things that that, that are so because the dollar is getting so worthless but each one of these men who had the responsibility to honor the constitution in some way did not honor the constitution and it's not just the president because in our society they have the three branches you know you have the executive and the and the uh, legislative and the and the uh, judicial branch and all of those three work together to make a country and all three of them now are working together to destroy the country. I wrote down here, we now have, we now have exactly what Scripture warns us about. A falling and, is, and you know, the, the country may, be la- may last another hundred years. But the foundation is being laid because of the, of the way that we're going. My third part is the body of Christ, you and I. It's very important. We get it, we're get we going to get right down to the personal part of it here because it's important that we understand that we are the congregation of the called out ones. We are part of the body of Jesus Christ. It is important that this be our king's copy in this congregation. It should rule us, guide us, and lead us in understanding how to, do, how to work with one another. Now, Jesus gave an example or a commandment of how to deal with one another. And you know that. You go to that person personally, that doesn't work and they're still unruly. Then you take two or three people and if you, that doesn't work, then you go to the congregation. I mean, it, the Bible is written so that we can congregate together, fellowship together, have love one for another, serve one another. It is by this book that we live and we exist together. There is one example where Paul had to chide, and I've just picked this one out, and that's First Corinthians, the fifth chapter. He was very concerned because they had a situation in which they needed to take care of and they weren't taking care of it and it's an example for the church it's an example for the body of Christ and it doesn't necessarily have to be the, you know, the ministry that takes care of these problems if you, if, if you can go to a person as, as Jesus said and they are converted or, and, and they are repentant and they change then that's fine and they, they, uh, they, they overcome that but if, they're, if they decide that they are unruly and they don't want to change, then Paul had to come to the Corinthian church and he had to say, it's reported in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not such as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Well, we live in a a lot, I mean, they had a perverted society. They they had idolatry and all of that. But brethren, Christianity is getting and the the moral side of the Bible is getting pushed further and further and further away from our society. We have very little influence over some minorities. It's 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 sometimes mind-boggling that even an organization like the Catholic Church is being chided for upholding certain things out of the Bible by our own government. And when it comes to that, where you have a huge um, church like the Catholic Church is that is being pushed... To accept things that they know from the Bible are wrong even though we you know we don't agree with them in a lot of ways they are pushing against the things that are being pushed on them continuing on you' are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed might be taken away from among you Will we have to. Do, will we have to deal with that in the body of Christ, someday? Maybe even worse than what the Corinthians had to deal with in the body of Christ. For verily, I absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that so that has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together and in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to, li- to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was important to them that they, that, that person not pervert the body of Christ. That's where it all comes down to, brethren. It all comes down to that. He said, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven, one person... Two people, leaven, leaven, it's the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. And so we're, we're given the responsibility to make sure that the body of Christ stays pure and clean and, and that, uh, you know, and then, and I leave that with you because now I'm going to, And I wrote a little note to myself that I wanted to share with you. Maybe, maybe also, we haven't worked as hard individually, or the ministry hasn't worked as hard individually enough to secure all believers in righteousness. You know, it's a matter of love for one another that we work together to help people to to overcome things. And maybe sometimes we aren't as uh, strong in that particular area as we should be. And may God and Christ forgive us if we haven't done everything we, we should have done for those who uh, you know, may have had problems and, and aren't, aren't, aren't with us anymore. Okay, our personal copy. We have one. We don't even have to go write it <laughs> unless you really want to. I mean, if you'd like to spend seven years putting this down, that would be a great and wonderful thing to do. But you can buy the book, have it on your shelf, and read it, learn it, and live by it. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. Everybody knows that. This one, very... Uh, let's see, I think I'm in First Timothy, I better get to Second Timothy or it won't read quite right. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that, that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have the king's copy sitting on your desk, in your bookshelf. It is important that you live by it as, Christ, as, as God and Christ commands us to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll study my word. And you will live to the best of your ability in my word. It is to rule our lives. When the king wrote out that, and if he was diligent and he sat down and he read, he would be instructed by God, and he would be also... Um, um, chastened by God as those words would affect him. You know, when Nathan went to David and told him what he had done in kind of a roundabout way, the sheep, oh, he's got all that sheep, but he wants your sheep. David was just furious. Nathan says, that's you. He was affected. And that's the way we should be. He was devastated. He realized, "Uh uh-oh, God caught me. (laughs) I'm caught. It should rule our lives, just as those kings should have been ruled by this word. Romans 3. But we know we're not perfect, don't we? we? We know we have faults. We know we have... Problems in our lives We know we're weak in certain areas The Bible says in Romans 3 verse 23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Boy isn't that true We have sinned And we all come short of that glory But we are a part of the body of Christ And we are supposed to be overcomers And working uh, in our own life Personally To overcome those things And trying to live the right way because there's grace, should we sin? Paul says, no. What shall we say then in 6.1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he was adamant. God forbid. Let it not be so. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And that's what baptism was about. We were buried that old man with all the old sins and all those old things. And when you come back up, you're supposed to be that new man that that spirit is working inside of you changing you as you read God's word as this king's copy that you have in your hand is washing through you it's supposed to clean you out help you to understand where you're weak and where you're sinful we know in 1 John 3 4 sin equals the transgression of that law that beautiful law that is written so all of that the kingdoms that we see on the earth have, have come and gone. We have a great hope. And that's why I didn't want to leave it just on that, that last note. <laughs> that's kind of a, we, as we look at ourselves, especially at certain times of the year, and we look at ourselves and we realize, well, we, boy, we sure haven't come, it seems like sometimes we haven't come that far. God is working with us. God is showing us a hope that we have. God is showing us a direction that we need to go. He's also giving us great hope if we we are able to grasp a hold of it. And I read these almost every time I get up here, but I, I think it's very important as we put these things in our mind. 1 John 3, verse 1 through 3. What manner are we saying that? What manner of love? What manner of love? The Father has bestowed upon us. I thought that was very apropos. (laughs) Fit right in. (laughs) What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because he knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see Him as He is. That is a tremendous hope. That's a tremendous hope. If you're going through great trials, read the Word. If you've got great joy, read the Word. And be uplifted even more. If you've backslid, read the Word and be encouraged to overcome and come back to the truth. We know in Revelation the. There's going to come a time when all governments will come under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. There will not be the handling of human beings by anyone but the spirit beings. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings in Revelation 11 verse 15. The seventh angel sounded and there was a great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world or become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It will not go back into the hands of men. Men, the nations will be there, as we explained before on that about the theocratic kingdom. Those nations will be there because God wants to rule over them. He wants Christ to rule over them. He wants us to rule over them. They have that responsibility to rule over the nations, but it will not go back into the hands of men again. Man will come to a, to a place in which they will about ready to destroy, as the scriptures say, and you look in this book and you watch uh, you read what has transpired in the past, and you know that things are getting bad in the, in the in the society that we live in today, the moral situation one more and I didn 't have this one i didn't have the last two in uh, but if you'll turn to Isaiah, the second chapter, Isaiah, the second chapter, my favorite verses, I look forward to this day, I want this day to come. I hope you do too. I want the kingdoms of this world to be the Lord's, the nations to flow under, unto him and to learn his truth. Verse 3, many people shall go and say, come you, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Brethren, the day is coming when everyone all over the world will have the king's copy, and they will understand what it means.